worship. Pastor Dykes, thank you for the introduction. I think, I'm not sure yet, I'll let you know. I have to process that a little longer, but uh, no, I appreciate uh, Wes's friendship and his ministry. I especially appreciate your pastor. He is a, he's been a friend for a very long time. Um, he is a dear friend and must be a prophet. Uh, in anticipation of Saturday's game, he left the country. So can't blame him for that. Roll Tide. Well, I want to, uh, I want to say how, how honored I am to come and share with you today. And um, I hope that you're encouraged and through the, the message in our time together as we worship the Lord in the Word that um, your faith is strengthened. I'm going to ask you to do something that I normally don't ask people to do, but because of the nature of this text, it, it's very important that we hear from the Lord uh, through the written word that is inspired. Now, sometimes, and many times, I will read two or three passages and then go from there. This morning, we're going to, I want you to, I want you to hear what the Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 11 has to say. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I don't know that there is a text of scripture that <clears throat> bears on our lives as much as this does because it reminds us that people, all the way back from the beginning, people have walked faithfully with God and we can too. In spite of different circumstances and troubles and trials and sin, people walk faithfully with God and we can too. And so I'm going to ask you if you are able, <clears throat> and only if you are able, to stand with me as I read Hebrews chapter 11, and we will conclude with verse 2 of chapter 12. So Hebrews chapter 1 through chapter 12, verse 2. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, <clears throat> the proof of what is not seen. For by it our ancestors were approved. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen has been made from the things that are not visible. <clears throat> Excuse me. By faith, Abel offered, a, offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By this, he was approved as a righteous man, because God approved his gift. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through this. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not experience death, and he was not, to, he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his transformation, he was approved, having pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after being warned about <clears throat> what was not yet seen, in reverence, built an ark to deliver his family. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed and went out to a place where he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, 
whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was barren, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. And therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith without having received the promise, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners in a temporary residence on earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been, re- if they, if they had been remembering the land from which they came, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now, but they now aspire to a better land, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. <clears throat> By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, who had, been, who had received the promise, was offspring of his unique son, about whom it had been said, in Isaac, your seed will be called. He considered God to be able to raise someone from the dead, from which he also got him back as an illustration. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, Joseph, and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and did not fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the short-lived pleasures of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since his attention was on the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as one who sees uh, him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though on dry ground. When the Egyptians tried to do this, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And what more can I say? Time is too short to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and scourging, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. All of these were approved through their faith. They did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight of sin that so easily ensnares us 
with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, God's Father. Father, thank you for recording these truths and these words for us so that we can see through the millennia that people have been faithful to you. God, that there is a cloud of witnesses, and Lord, that we also can, in spite of our circumstances and the troubles of this life, we can be faithful to you. God, help it be so in each one of our lives, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for that, for standing for so long. I appreciate that. Several years ago, I had the, uh, an interesting experience of visiting a blacksmith also called a smithy. I love, I love watching these guys. They, they are able to take something like steel that is, uh, as you know, the properties of steel, they're, it's hard, uh, it's not malleable, it's stubborn, and put into the hands of someone that knows what they're doing, a blacksmith can take the tools of his trade, he can heat the steel up, he reaches with tongs to handle the steel. He places the steel on an anvil. He takes a hammer and he fashions that hard substance into something that is useful and good. And the process, of course, is, is painful. There's no doubt about that. It's hard work. And nevertheless, the blacksmith can take something like steel and fashion it and bend it and mold it shape it. In many ways, I find that we are somewhat in the same situation as we grow our faith. The trials of this life seem to put pressure on us. We find in the scripture that we should not uh, be, you know, we should not push back on those things, but we should rather embrace them because James says that the trying of our faith produces endurance. And so much like that of the steel being molded and shaped by the master, you and I find ourselves in the same place. The title of the message this morning is Forging Genuine Faith. And what I want to do this morning is I want you to see the outcome of men and women after they had lived faithful lives. And I want you to see what the, what the Bible says about each one of those as we have read this morning. There's a few things about faith that you need to know, and I want you to take your Bibles, and I want to show you just a few things because I want us to build a biblical foundation about faith. The first one that I would ask you to turn to, if you'll just turn a few pages over to the book of James, James comes right after Hebrews. And so if you'll look in James chapter 1, verse 2, let's understand a few things about faith. Number one, James is writing, and James actually distinguishes between false faith and genuine faith. He says that there are people who have a fake or false faith. And then there are those who have a genuine faith. And the whole book of James is helping us understand and describe, if you will, what genuine faith actually looks like, as opposed to a false or fake faith. Look at what he says in verse 2. Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Here's something that you should know about your faith. It needs to be tested. It proves the genuineness of your faith. What is God forging in our life? What is God doing in your life? He is forging genuine, true faith. And we find this in James. If you'll look over just a few more pages, or I'm sorry, yeah, look in verse 14. You also find James is continuing this this same line of thought really throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then if you get in chapter 2, verse 14, you find these words. uh, These words, it says, what good is it, my brother, if someone says that he has faith, but he doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? There's a false faith. And then he goes on and explains what true, genuine faith looks like. So you can actually have a false faith. And James is distinguishing between a false and a true faith. I want to show you something else in the Gospel of John. If you'll look in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, we find something very important for our faith in verse 31. And here John is writing, and he is explaining Jesus' words as Jesus speaks. John writes in verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But look at verse 31 with me. But these things are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. Faith, believing in faith in the the New Testament are synonymous. They mean the same thing. Faith that Jesus is the Messiah. Here's what we also have to understand. We also have to understand that Jesus many times mentions mentions faith. Remember the times where he looked at his disciples and he said, O ye of what? Little faith. And then he turns and to one one, Gentile, he says, I've not seen what? Greater faith in all of Israel. So our faith can be strong. It can be weak. It needs to be tested. And we could go on. In fact, we could go on for days talking about faith. So there's a... There's a foundational understanding that we need to have about faith. But I want us to go back to our text. Look in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at what verse 1 says. And I just want you to circle these to help us understand faith. Your faith is the reality of what is hoped for. Circle the word reality if you mark your Bible. Faith is not blind. And faith is not ignorant. Faith is reality, the Bible describes it. And then it goes on in the same verse and describes it as proof. Your faith is proof of something. So the scripture says that our faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. And the Bible goes on in in verse, uh, the writer of Hebrews says in verse 3, we understand things because of faith. And he says that we understand that all the things that have been created are created from the things that are not visible. So we need to know some things about our faith, but we also need to know some things about the faithful. I want you to look in that chapter again, and I want you to scan with me the, the, the names of the people in chapter 11. Boy, when you start looking at some of the people in chapter 11, we all, if you look at them on a broad sense, here's some things that we can say about almost everybody in chapter 11. 
Number one, they're all sinners, right? Every single person in chapter 11, they're all sinners. And the Bible declares this. The Bible helps us understand that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I want you to understand something else about this list. Everybody in this list faced different challenges. They weren't from the same place and had the same issues. All of these people had different challenges. Something else. They were all imperfect after salvation. Even after they were saved, they still stumbled and fell at times. And the final thing I'd have you remember about these people is in the end, the only thing that, they, that we are reminded about these people is that they're, they're remembered by their faith. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at six lessons about faith. And here's, here's the truth that I want you to hold on to. Your faith, your faith, if it's a genuine faith, your faith will not crumble under the weight of circumstances or sin or testing. Your faith is true, genuine faith. And if it is true, genuine faith, it will withstand anything. I want to show you something. Look, first of all, when I look at this list, I go through all these people, and you're familiar. If you've been in, in Sunday school very long, you're familiar with some of these people. Here's the first lesson of our faith. Our faith is greater and stronger than our hardships. Now, did you hear that? Your faith is greater than your hardships. Now, I know that every person in here has a different story, and I know that all of us probably face different hardships. Gloriously, we can look at this list and we can identify with some of these people listed, which is the very reason that they were given in the list to begin with. Remember what chapter 12 says? Chapter 12 says we have these witnesses. We have proof that our faith can withstand anything. And so I want to look at someone real quickly that withstood hardship. In this list, of course, you could find many people, but I don't know of anybody on this list that withstood more hardship than Joseph did. You look at the, what the scripture says, Joseph, and, and you go back into the Old Testament, you study his family situation. He didn't choose the family in which he was born. He was just born there. Now, if you don't remember the story of Joseph, you need to revisit. That was one messed up family. Y'all remember that? And, and he was born into this, this, this system of love and hate, brothers pitted against brothers, and jealousy, and, and you know the story. He was sold into slavery, hardship that he had no control over. He got down into Egypt, and what happened? He was sold into Potiphar's house, and he managed the household. And then he got accused falsely of doing something terrible, and he got thrown into prison. Hardship. And what we find every step of the way is there were many times that you would have to assume that Joseph spent many a sleepless night weeping and crying over the hardship, being away from his family, and being accused of something that he didn't do. And nevertheless, what we remember the most about Joseph is he was a faithful follower of God. He was faithful in spite of his hardship. You know the rest of the story as well. Joseph represents this. Now I want you to understand what does that mean for us this morning. It means this. It doesn't matter what you're going through, how difficult it is. Your faith is stronger. Your faith is greater than the hardship, any hardship you will ever face. You can't control all the circumstances in life. I understand that. But let me just tell you this, your faith is stronger. I want you to look at something else. The Bible mentions David by name here. 
David's name is mentioned specifically. In fact, he's summarized like this. I don't have time to tell you about all these other people. Look at that list with me in verse 32. This list is rather humorous to me because I would have liked for the writer of Hebrews to explain some things. I'm trying to figure out where Samson fits in on the faithful. If you know anything about Samson, you know that he was... He had some rocky times in his life. Toward the end of his life, he was a faithful man. There he's listed. And he's listed pretty close to David. Now, David, most everybody in here knows and remembers. And I want you to think about this. The Bible says from a very young age, David was a man after God's own heart. He was a faithful follower of Yahweh from a very young age. But we also, and what we typically talk most about, is that one year of his life, don't we? We remember that one year of his life more than we remember just about anything else about David. That one year, you remember when he stayed home, when he should have been at war, when he looked, when he should have turned away. You know that year. You know that. You know what? You, you, you've read this story about, about David when he uh, engaged in an adulterous affair, and then he committed murder, and then he was deception, and he lied, and he tried to cover all this up. You remember that, don't you? Let me just explain something to you. Even now, after all of that, David's name is still listed in Hebrews chapter 11. And here's what that tells us. It tells us this. It tells us that his faith was greater than his sin. Not just the hardship that we see of these people, but it was even greater than his own sin. Now, I want you to get this. I've been, I've been following the law, uh, chasing after the Lord for a long time. Many of you have been, you've been faithful followers of Christ for a long time. But along the way, you know this to be true. You know that there are points in your life and times in your life where you falter and you fail. You know that that's true. And I want to remind you this morning that your faith is even greater than your sin. It's even greater than that sin. There's going to be times, in fact, I've said this before, I hope that I'm not, I hope this is true, I hope that my life is not summarized by my teenage years. What about you? I hope that my life isn't summarized by one year of my life or one week of my life or one statement that I made or one action. And I feel like that's probably true for all of us. One of the things that we saw in this group is after these people were converted, they were still imperfect. David represents this for us, for me and you this morning. You may be following the Lord and faithful to the Lord and have a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, or a bad year, but your faith is greater. And if you'll go to Psalm 51, you'll find out how we can get back into that relationship. David repented, and he fell down on his face, and he asked God to forgive him, and he was restored. And he represents for each one of us a faithful life. In fact, I would say it like this. David's life represents, by and large, he's one of the most renowned people in the entire Old Testament. He's one of the greatest men of faith in all of the Old Testament in spite of the fact that he had a very bad year. Our, our faith is greater than our sin. We also see someone else listed here, Rahab. In fact, the Bible describes her here. I think the Bible is not trying to bring up her past as much as it is describing her. Rahab, the prostitute, the Bible says. And this is how she is remembered or how she is introduced to us uh, during the, uh, the conquest. Rahab, the prostitute. I don't know that anyone wants to be remembered like that. But nevertheless, here's what we learn about her faith. Her faith is greater than her past. Her faith is greater than her past. There's probably some of us in here today that can identify with a, a, a rough past. 
Here we have this lady. The Bible says that she was a prostitute. If you remember the story back in the Old Testament, the two spies went in. She gave them uh, a safe haven. She helped them understand what was going on, and she joined the Israelite community. Here, this woman joins the Israelite community. In fact, she is actually listed in Matthew chapter, in the first part of Matthew there, she's listed in the genealogy of our Lord. This woman, this prostitute, is listed in the genealogy of our Lord. Now that sounds shocking, doesn't it? But here's what it illustrates. It doesn't matter what your past is. Genuine, true faith is greater than your past. You don't have to live under the weight of your past. You don't have to live under the hardship of thinking about what you've done and where you've been. You don't have to be re reminded constantly of, of your, your B.C., those before Christ years. You can be set free from that. We find here in the scripture that they were set free. You can be set free as well. Our genuine faith is greater than our hardship. It's greater than our sin. It's greater than our past. And it's also greater than our circumstances. Daniel, one of the prophets, had to have one of the most difficult lives, maybe other than Jeremiah, in the entire Bible. Taken away as a teenager carried off to Babylon, confronted with issue after issue after issue. And then he served, after he served the Babylonian king, he then served under the Persians. He never got to go home that we know of. He spent his entire life right there serving, never got to go home, living under paganism and the hardship of pagan kings. And I think about David's life as a teenager, as a young man, he started off and he does this. He says that talking about eating these these meals that were sacrificed to these idols, he simply says he did not want to defile himself with his God. He was faithful, and he was faithful under harsh circumstances. You and I can't control many of the circumstances that come into our life. You can't, and we recognize that. There are things that have happened to me that were beyond my control. I simply could not control them. At a very young age, I was diagnosed with uh, ulcerated colitis. I could not control that. Uh, things have happened in my life, both in ministry and personally, that I could not control. There are circumstances that you will find yourself, whether it's your job or your family, whatever it might be, there are things that you're going to find that you it's completely out of your control. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. Your faith will get you through it. Your faith is stronger than your circumstances, no matter what they are. Genuine faith is, is the forged steel that gets us through the most difficult and worst times. Sarah's name is mentioned. I think Sarah represents maybe one of the most, the worst heartaches in all of Scripture, and this is true for many women in the Old Testament. Several times in the Old Testament we find that there are women who could not bear children. I've held the hands of women that couldn't bear children and and, and wept with them as Karen and I have ministered to them. And that is a hurt that we, we have not felt and we don't understand. We, are, we, we have children and so we don't understand that. But if you are there, if you have that kind of heartache, you probably identify with Sarah. She was 90 years old when she finally had her first child, her own child. And there are women that, that even today don't have that, that don't have children and they, they have that heartache. And so I look at Sarah's life and I think she represents this long heartache that she's 
bore through her life not having children. And it might not be that. It could be something else. I've also held the hands of not only people who couldn't have children, but I've held the hands of people who have lost children. And that is a heartache as well, isn't it? And you're going to experience heartache in this life. If I, if I could tell my students anything, listen, it, you, there's things coming around the corner that you don't know anything about. There's going to be trouble that you, you've got this grandiose idea of ministry and what life is going to be, and I pray that that is the case. I pray that, that you have the most successful ministry in life, but along the way, there's going to be a little heartache, isn't there? You're going to lose a parent. You're going to lose a child. You're going to lose a spouse. There's going to be heartache that you don't understand, but I want you to hear the encouragement from the Word this morning. Here is a cloud of witnesses. Sarah represents a heartache as, as others do here, but there's a cloud of witnesses that say your faith is stronger than your heartache. Your faith can survive. We don't abandon our faith when hardship comes, and we don't abandon our faith when our circumstances change, and we don't abandon our faith when sin enters into our life. We repent, and we run back to God, and we don't abandon our life because our past catches up with us. There's this heartache represented with Sarah. And the Bible describes her as believing that God was able to fulfill his promise, and then she experienced the fulfillment of that promise. There's something else that I see in here, and really the last one I want to share with you. Your faith is greater than your culture. You know, i got to say this. I, I want you all to hear me on this. I don't know that it's really helpful for us to constantly remind ourselves that we live in a corrupt culture. My, my mother is 81. And so she grew up in the 50s, and she said life was wonderful. Some of y'all can identify with that. And, and I know, I understand that life is different, but let me just say this. When you look back at the beginning of human history up until now, culture has always been corrupt, hasn't it? I mean, it's really been corrupt since that first sin. After that, things have just been going downhill the whole way. There's not an age that we can look in. You look at Abraham when he was called. He was called out of Chaldean paganism. You look at the struggles of Joseph and, and the others in, in the world. You, you, look into, uh, you look into the prophets when they're preaching to the Canaanites or they're talking about the Canaanites, sacrificing children, babies, burning them alive, terrible atrocities, things that should not even be spoken of were being practiced. And the Israelites were condemned because they began to practice these things. Culture has always been bad. Culture is not going to get any better. It may get worse, but... There's going to be a fluctuation between good and bad, but culture's always been bad. But let me just tell you this. When I read my Bible and I pick it up and I look at the people of faith who, who's, who were faithful in a corrupt culture, I am encouraged. I'm encouraged when I look at, at Joseph's life and living in, in a corrupt culture, or Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and, and Abednego living in a corrupt culture. I'm encouraged when I read about the Canaanites and I know that there are faithful people of God's people being faithful in a corrupt culture. And I'm encouraged when I, listen to me, when I look at your life and I see you being faithful in spite of the fact that we live in a corrupt culture. The culture does not dictate our faithfulness. And let me just say this, as a, as a dad of four and a grandfather of five, do I worry about raising grandchildren and children in this corrupt culture? Yes, but I know that it can be done because there is a cloud of witnesses that says that it can be. 
and, and mom and dad and grandparents, let me just tell you this. You raise those kids. Don't, don't worry about the culture. You create culture in your home. You point them toward God. You love them. You pray for them. You teach them scripture. And I'll assure you this, they will overcome their culture because we have a cloud of witnesses that guarantees it. And you know why? Because faith is greater than the corrupt culture that we live in. It's greater. You wonder how in the world do we get through the hardships of life, the sin that's in our own personal life, our past circumstances, heartache, and the corrupt culture? It's faith. It's faith. I want to conclude with just a couple of things. I want you to look in chapter 12. Look in chapter 12 with me. Therefore, since we have this cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares and run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Now, I want to I conclude, if I can, I want to draw this to a time of response where you get to respond with what you've heard. Now, here's how the response will be. Maybe you've got a hardship in your life that's outside of your control. I want you to, this morning as we give an invitation, I want you to pray about that hardship and, and trust God through that hardship and don't let your faith falter. If there's a sin in your life, if you're, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you're a Christian, but all of a sudden you find yourself much like David, you're caught up in a sin, I want you to confess it the way that David confessed it in Psalm 51. If you've got a past that that you know is still there, and you're, you, you can glory in the fact that the Bible says that he cast our sins and our past as far as the east is to the west. This morning, if you've been hiding in the shadows or if you've been living in the shadow of your past, I want you to put a stamp on that and be done with it today, knowing that your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, paid for those sins, and you don't have to live under the weight of your past ever again. Your circumstances... If you're in harsh circumstances in a marriage or if it's at work, you begin to pray and ask God to help you through those circumstances. Heartache, if you're suffering heartache that maybe is unspeakable and, and you can't talk about it, it's that deep and it hurts that bad, you carry that before the Lord. Your faith is greater. If you're trying to raise children in a corrupt culture and grandchildren, listen, I, this one thing I love about my mother is at 81, she prays for my children and grandchildren probably 15 times a day. It's an amazing thing, grandparents, you still have, and I'm a grandparent, did I tell you all that already? I'm a grandparent of five. I pray for those kids every single day and many times a day because I know that the, the culture is corrupt. But I want you to look with me in, verse 12, in chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what it says. We have this cloud of witnesses, doesn't it? It says that, but I want you to get this. Did you know that in the verses in chapter 11 when it says, I don't have time to mention everybody. Did y'all see that? I could talk more about all these other people, but I just don't have time, he says. Do you know what that leaves open? That leaves the possibility of more people being added to the cloud of witnesses. Like you. You and I will one day join that cloud of witnesses. One day, someone is going to look at your life Someone that you went to church with, someone that you invested in, someone that you prayed for. Your children are going to look at the sum total of your life and they're going to look at you and go, that was a person of faith. That was a man or a woman of faith. 
your life also serves as a witness, witness to the people around you. And that's why I tell you, this, this genuine faith that God is forging in your life, this true genuine faith, you need to let that shine. You need to let it out. Listen, you and I are called to be faithful in spite of all the things we've talked about here. And we have a cloud of witnesses that have done it. We can do it too. You will join that cloud of witnesses. Your children and grandchildren will one day talk about you after you're gone. My grandmother has been dead for about 28 years. I remember when I was little, sitting beside her and her reading scripture to me. She gave me a Bible when I confessed Christ as my Savior, and she wrote a letter in that Bible. My grandmother was a woman of faith. Struggled, yes, but a woman of faith. One day, my grandchildren are going to look at me, and I hope they say, that was a man of faith. And I hope they think the same thing. We give this invitation this morning. I'm going to ask Brother Ken if he will to come. He's going to stand and receive anyone that needs to come. But I, I want, as they're coming, I have to ask you to listen very carefully. Listen, how do you enter into a faithful relationship with our Lord and Savior? I want you to hear this. The Bible says that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died and took our sins and gave us his righteousness. He was buried and on the third day he was raised from the tomb. And the scripture says that our response to that gospel needs to be this. You need to have faith. You need to believe. Exercise faith. I believe. And you have to verbalize that faith. The Bible says in Romans that if you will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Repent and turn away from your sins and turn to God. That is the proper response. That's how we enter into a relationship, as we often refer to it. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ is through faith. You can't work for it, but you can come on the grace that's being offered. You can come and you can trust him. And this morning, if for the very first time as we give this invitation, if you need to come and trust in Jesus Christ and believe the gospel for the first time, there's people that will talk to you about that. If you've got a hardship or you've got a struggle that's going on in your life and you want someone to pray with you, that's what the faith family is for. That's what we're here for. And someone will go and sincerely pray for you. If you're caught in sin, if you've been walking with the Lord but there's sin in your life, would you repent this morning and put it behind you? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you.